Welcome to the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. In this fifth week of our study on the life of the Apostle Paul, Wes White shares with us about the opposition that Paul and Barnabas began to experience on their first missionary journey. Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13 as we continue to learn how to imitate Paul as he imitated Jesus Christ. So you remember some of these verses that we're going through are, that we're trying to remember as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul. Here's this one, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, just to say it together. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And then the other one we've been looking at is Philippians 1.21. Just to go together, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the big idea is Paul modeled a life surrendered to Jesus Christ for us to follow. And so we're going to look at that um, this morning. Uh, we're going to look at this, this, uh, the life of the Apostle Paul. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn Acts chapter 13, verses. we're going to look at verse 42. Hunter ended off on verse 41. And we're going to look at that this morning. And so when I think about this morning, I think about this talk, and as I read this text and look at the text, um, if I had to title this message, here's how I would title it. I would title it, The Gospel Then and now. And as I look at that and I look at how we do things and me being a former missionary and thinking through those things and being a church planner and being part of church plants. And so when I look at Paul, I don't say these are like Paul's missionary journeys. I'll go, these are Paul's church plant um, kind of journeys. And so when I think about when we look at this text, I go, how did they do it? When I read the book of Acts, I go, man, how do they do it? And what can we learn from it? Franklin D. Roosevelt said, um, a nation must believe in three things. It must believe in the past. It must believe in the future. It must, above all, believe in the capacity of its own people so to learn from the past that they can gain in judgment in creating their own future. He's just talking about understanding the past. We live in a culture today that wants to kind of cancel kind of the past. We want to rewrite history because if you can rewrite history, you can almost rewrite the future. But it's important for us to learn from the past so we know how to apply today. Um, Certain generations right now kind of want to rethink what the past looks like. Uh, we can see that. We can see that among certain people. But I think it's important for us to understand the past. And so we're going to look at, hey, how was the gospel moving then? In this context, in this historical context, and what, can we, what kind of the nuggets can we pull from it that we can apply even today where we are living among our people? You know, if you're here this morning in Europe, a new believer, a seasoned believer, if you're watching and maybe someone sends you a link to watch this, uh, hey, I believe that this morning we'll learn some great key things for you. We'll learn how, hey, how you can further develop your faith, how you can further walk, uh, probably like kind of like surrender life like we talked about about Paul, um, how we maybe can overcome maybe some of the hindrances to the gospel that you and I face, to sharing the gospel, to how, some of those, those realities, those hindrances, those stumbling blocks and maybe you're watching because, well, maybe you're still on the spiritual journey. You're still kind of wondering, hey, is this for me? Maybe you're still questioning whether this Jesus is the true Jesus and should I apply my life? And I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. But if you're one of those, now listen, I believe this message this morning will speak to you as well. Uh, we'll find you in this message. We'll, Paul talks to you and, and, and speaks to people just like you and where I once was as well. And so I believe this message is for all who may hear it this morning. 
And so if I had to summarize really kind of one sentence, they always say a good preacher should be able to summarize their messages in one sentence. Um, I would say this. It's the gospel expanding mission moved through his servants or his people with great fruit, but also opposition. And we're going to read this text, and I think we'll see that in the text this morning. So, hey, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to dive right into it. Acts 13, starting off in verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with him, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Well, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to an eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of the high standing and leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook the dust off their feet against them, and they went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And verse 14, chapter 14, And now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the believing Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And so they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And they continued to preach the gospel so here's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at this whole text. These are the two areas we are looking at this morning. And so we're looking at, this is from Hunter's map, so it should look familiar. It's just Iconium and Antioch. So we're going to start off Antioch. We're on the second part of what Hunter preached last week. And then we're going to go in and jump into Iconium. And we're kind of going to look at them together simultaneously because some of the things we see in the one, we see happen in, in the other as well. So here's the first thing I, I want to do this morning. You kind of see where they're at. So they, the gospel movement then and now. Here's my first point. And if you're taking notes, it's real simple. And I only have three points, and this is my last slide. The gospel moves through his people. Three points. Hey, the gospel moves through his people. And so I, what I want to look about this today, because I look at it from, hey, then and now. So how the gospel moved. How did all of a sudden... Paul and Barnabas, remember in, in chapter 13 that Paul and Barnabas had just been set aside in verse 2 of chapter 13. They've been set aside, the people prayed and they fasted, and the Holy Spirit said, hey, set aside Paul and Barnabas, if you remember that from last week. 
And if not, I just want to give you a recap. And so then Paul and Barnabas began to go, and they started this journey we saw on the map, and they started here, and then they moved to Antioch. And this is their first time really kind of going out to plant churches, to share the gospel. And we see how it moves. It moves through his people. Because look at verse 42. As they, they is referring to Paul and Barnabas. So as they went out, and what happened? The people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. Well, what do they do? And so you know, we read the story, and so all of a sudden the people beg, hey, why don't you come? And then what happens the next Sabbath? All of a sudden a whole crowd shows up. Which begs to ask the question, man, how did that crowd get there? Like, all of a sudden you have these people say, hey, we heard you. Oh, this amazing message that Hunter said, hey, that Paul had three points in the sermon. Um, right? There we go. He's not his head. And so all of a sudden all these people hear this and all of a sudden they go, hey, we want to hear this again. And next thing, the whole city. Well, how did the whole city learn about it? Well, it was through his people. So a lot of times we often think, oh, listen, it's the professionals who go share the gospel. But according to the text here, actually the gospel share, moved the most through just people. And so I want us to look at that this morning. Hey, one thing I know that we look at here first is the gospel. When it moves through people, it moves intentionally. Notice what Paul did both in Antioch and Iconium. And actually, you'll see he, he does the same thing all the way up till he gets to Rome. He will always enter the synagogue, and then he'll move to the street. He, anytime, and look, when he entered into Iconium, what did he do? First thing he went to was the synagogue. Uh, listen here, he, he spoke on a Sabbath and he went to the Sabbath. And Paul was an intentional, he was intentional, he had a game plan. One, because Paul wanted to go to his people first. And as we learn this text here, eventually the people reject it, so he moves to the Gentile. We see here how the gospel is moving to the Gentiles. But Paul is intentional in what he's doing. He has a plan. And when I was serving in Spain uh, as a missionary, one thing we often talked about, and I was a team leader um, over there in Valencia, the one thing we always talked about, even some of the people, colleagues, and new workers that come to the field, we say, hey, listen, you're going to have to work on intentionality. Uh, one of my supervisors, Lonnie Reynolds, would always say that, Wes, you got to be intentional, man. you got to be intentional. And so, we listen, we had to be intentional in what we're doing. Um, you have a plan. Listen, each one of us here, we have neighbors of some sort of some capacity. Um, if I just say, hey, you know what, they need Jesus, that's great. But if I don't actually make a plan of saying, hey, I'm going to go across the street or go talk to them or make an appointment of, of trying to do that. Hey, he's out mowing his yard, I'm going to mow out my yard, so at least he's there. So we can make a point to talk to him, then... It won't happen. I think Paul and Barnabas were intentional. They had a plan. I, I think for the gospel to move just like it did then, to move like it should today, is you have to have a plan. We have to be intentional. But I also think it moves naturally as well. And that's where we see in verse from 42 to 44, something happened. Because in verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered. And so these people who heard this message, man, they, they told other people. And so there is a natural aspect to this. There's a natural thing. It's not something that has to be a canned speech. There's a natural flow. When you and I have a conversation with someone, um, I find often we'll talk about those things that we're most passionate about. Look at this text in verse 42. When I read this, and I have not got over this word yet, as they went out, the people begged. I go, man, what are they begging? And why are they begging? Well, if you remember Hunter's message last week, if you jump up to 38 and 39, I think this is why they begged. Look what had just happened. It says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, and he's talking, referring to Jesus, 
Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. All of a sudden, here's where we come this right, this, this idea, this theological term, we come in justification. Now, if you put your faith in Christ, now you are justified. You have a right standing before God. All of a sudden, man, this concept comes in because under the Jewish, the Jewish taught, hey, God will, he will bless those who are righteous, but he's going to punish the wicked. And all of a sudden, man, Paul comes on the scene and preaches this message of grace. This idea that Jesus, listen, can do for you what the law could not do for you. Because when you look at the law, and the law is there just to reveal that you and I can never we can never be good enough. Man, we will break something. But today he says, listen, I want you to know that your sins can be forgiven through this man. Man, that was radical, man. That was, that was like new things to, for them to hear. And, and if I've traveled all over the world, I, I noticed in a Western and Eastern and Asian culture, certain messages kind of penetrate different, different areas in different ways. In our culture, somewhere back in certain generations, we could say, hey, I surrender my life. I give my life to Jesus. I want Jesus to be king. And, and that, that resonates. I mean, we see the gospel moving naturally in incredible ways in some parts of Southeast Asia. And there are people that I've, when we've gone and I've done trips over there, that people will beg us to come back. And I often go, why? Because they're hearing a message of their life can be free from whatever the guilt and shame and the burdens that they're trying to accomplish to try to gain some kind of access into an unknown God that they don't know. But listen, we do know. And then we present that in a way that they can understand. And all of a sudden, their lives are set free and they're excited. Think about when you came to know Christ, man, you were excited. And I often wonder, why is, it, why is the gospel expanding greatly over here and not so much in the Western cultures? Why is that? It's not that it's not moving. Why is it moving in certain places faster than others? And I've often got asked that aspect, and sometimes when I was in Africa, hey, why is it moving great in the U.S. and not here? So I've been you know, asked the other way as well. Sometimes I think it's just the way we, we do it. It can move naturally. Sometimes I wonder if we got over our salvation. Doing this study, I, I, it makes me go back to that moment in 1991 when I gave my life to Jesus. Listen, I grew up in a church. I heard the message my whole life. I heard the gospel. The gospel was just a, yeah, all right, we do this. The idea of going to church, somehow I could gain my salvation or gain some kind of right standing. No, it wasn't until I came to the cross and said, listen, this Jesus can forgive me. It's not just by going to church or being a good person, but it's by pushing, putting my faith in this Jesus. And all of a sudden, man, it, it, in a high school, going to my sophomore year, my life was changed. This morning, I'd love for you to think about that. Think about the time when you gave your life to Christ. I think it would change you. And so I think there's an intentional side. I think there's a natural side to this as well. The crowd spoke. But I also think how it moves through people is just powerfully. Holy Spirit led. Right? There's this Holy Spirit movement. They spoke boldly. And at one point, they're persecuted. They're ridiculed. And we'll talk about that in a little bit later. But all of a sudden, it moved. They're, listen, they were appointed, set aside by the Holy Spirit. And they spoke boldly. It's a powerful aspect of sharing the gospel. So I think we need to be intentional. It happened naturally, but I also think it has to be Holy Spirit-led. One time I was in West Virginia, and I'm um, leading a group of middle school students on a, a mission trip. And while I was there, um, we were beginning the week, we, we shared with some of the kids in a park. And we were going to paint this park to kind of rejuvenate it and put some new paint. And we're in one of these little hollows in the middle of nowhere, McDowell County. 
the poorest county in the United States. And so we were there painting some of the parks. The kids came and um, we began to share with some of the kids, even about Jesus. And we're going to do these little VBS or backyard Bible clubs. And um, we had a chance to share with one of these young little boys that was in the neighborhood um, around the, these kids' age in middle school. And um, he said, yeah, yeah, I'll be back. Well, he never came back. So we decided to be intentional. And so we decided to do a prayer walk. And so we're going to prayer walk these little streets and, and these little hollows. And so we're prayer walking. And as we're prayer walking, I feel like the Lord's saying, and we're just prayer walking the streets. We're not going door to door. We're not approaching people's doors. We're just praying for the streets. But then also not since the Lord said, hey, I want you to go to that house. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I'm having this conversation in my head. Are you kidding me? Um, and I got this team. We need to get back. And there's a schedule. There's all these excuses that are run through my head. And it just kept getting stronger. It was like the Holy Spirit just leading me west. Well, I want you to go to the house. It wasn't like I heard an audible voice, but it was definitely a strong, it was guiding me. I said, all right, I said, guys, I believe the Lord wants us to go to this house and just ask him if we can pray for him. And so we walk up to this door and I knock on the door and it's two, this older couple that opened the door and just say, hey, we're, we're here and we're just praying for areas. Anyway, we can pray for you. And um, they look a little shocked. Um, but they begin to answer, and all of a sudden, in between them comes this little face. There's this young boy. He says, hey, I've been meaning to come back. Come on in. And so they invite us to our house. And uh, so we went in, and I began to share um, Jesus with him, continue the conversation, and uh, this young boy gives his life to Jesus. Some aspect of being just Holy Spirit-led. There's those moments where you just need to obey. Even everything inside you will scream, no. I think we just it, it, the gospel will spread powerfully. And listen, there's many other times where I've been spit on, been threatened, been beat up with a baseball bat. There's other times where it has not been like that. But I think there's still this, this boldness, there's this power that goes into us. Here's the application that I would say I'd pull right from here in this text is, when I look at how the gospel, it moves through people, it moves through people like you and me. So the question is, now, I've thought about this as one, man, have we got over our salvation? Man, we've lost that excitement. We've lost that passion to share Jesus. Um, and then my other question would be, if, hey, who's that person that you need to be intentional with? That, you know, hey, I need to mark on my calendar. I need to go have a cup of coffee with them. And you say, hey, let's do this. And it'll be purposeful in that conversation. Is there somebody that you need to talk with? Is there somebody that you need to motivate to go encouraged to do that as well. And sometimes I think we don't share the gospel naturally or intentionally because we think God's done with us. And it could be here this morning, or you're watching that you think, hey, God can't use me. I'm too messed up. You say my life doesn't demonstrate something, so I don't think I'm unworthy to share that. Paul, as we learned, was a persecutor of the church. I mean, he was killing people. Like he was there when he had Stephen killed. So Paul was not a great person, but God redeemed him and chose him. There's nothing that you've done in the past that God can't redeem. And you're still here watching. Maybe you feel like that, but maybe you need to give your life to Christ. Maybe that's your first step in this, to this Jesus. Not only does the gospel, I think, move through his people, but here's the good news, right? It bears fruit. Like in this text, we see it moves through his people, but it bears fruit. And that would be that one, right? So the second point made it. But it bears fruit. That's encouraging. Because I've met people who say, listen, I've never seen anybody. I've, I've shared, but I, I've never seen results. Listen, I've done these gospel conversation trainings here at the chapel, and I've done them overseas. And, and you get these a lot of questions. Like, man, you, you will bear fruit. It will bear fruit. The gospel will not, the word of God will not return void. You will bear fruit. 
The gospel will bear fruit. Not necessarily you will. The gospel will bear fruit. Look, look, look at this thing. It was spreading. It was, it was spreading like crazy. And all of a sudden we get in here. So under this, we're going to see the divine side and we're going to see the human side. And part of the divine side, I'll say, is a supernatural side of this as well. And so the whole, the next Sabbath in verse 44, they gather here the word. And they continue, but Paul, but in verse 46, and Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. He's talking to the Jews. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are returning to the Gentiles. And all of a sudden he quotes this, his quote from Isaiah here. He says, I've made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. All of a sudden, hey, he's saying, hey, listen, I, the gospel's come to you. You guys have rejected it. And, and now it's moving to the gospel. And so look at this. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed in eternal life believed. It's a huge statement. The gospel will bear fruit. Why? Because one, there is a divine side. There is a sovereign God. And, and what I would get out of this, if you, go, if you want to put beside this, that verse in chapter 48, the verse 48, put Ephesians 1, 4, uh, there is this thing that we say that God had elected. He, he, this word here that he appointed is the Greek word from tasso, which actually means to assign. There's no way, it's a military term. So there's no way to get uh, around the idea of this doctrine. In theological terms, we call it election. So we have justification today and the doctrine of election. And I'm not here to debate that. And I don't fully understand the doctrine of election. All I know is in Scripture, it is clearly spoken in here. For those who were appointed, they believed. Because it's, it's a, there's a divine part of salvation. There, there, there is the divine side to it. There is this thing where you cannot get around it. And those believed. And so it bared fruit. And by the way, verse 49 is the human side. 48 is the divine side. Verse 49 is the human side. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. That's the human side where you and I get to go share it. One of my favorite preachers, and I think is Dr. Johnny Hunt, and understand talking about a reference to the, to the doctrine of election, like God chose some. Of, he says, listen, I don't know who God elected. I'm not God. And so when I do, I just invite them all. And that stuck with me. Listen, I don't understand completely the doctrine of election, but evidently there's been some appointed. And I don't know who those are. So what I want to do, hey, let's just invite them all. And I think that's an encouraging word. There's not a part about you and me, but we do have a responsibility. I wouldn't say responsibility. I'd say a privilege and a joy to do the human side. And that is to share. You see it in verse 3 of chapter 14, why they're in Iconium. Look, look at this. I call this a, the, the divine side, the human side. This is the supernatural side. And so they were unbelieving people stirred up, right? And they're poisoning their minds. But verse 3 of, in Iconium, you'll see. Um, so they remained there for a long time. Evidently, persecution and suffering caused them, hey, we're going to stay longer. Speaking boldly for the Lord. Again, I would say that's Supernatural who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. When many people look at this, they would say, hey, look how, look how it spread. Look at these miracles that we're doing. But I want you to know the word of grace came before the works of grace, right? Those miracles and those signs were just to, just to, to affirm that who they were and what they were doing, that they were people of God doing great things. But there is a supernatural side to this aspect. If I was to take you... This morning, if we were to get on a plane and there was no pandemic right now, we were to fly over to some of our partners in central Thailand 
And uh, typically during this time, they're doing evangelism and they're doing they're going out on the streets and into these little villages and they're sharing the gospel. And, and over the last three years, they've seen over 700 churches planted. If we were there and we were go out with them, and you can ask Tommy and, and, and uh, Casey, who just got married and um, who people have gone with me, but if we were to walk in some of those villages with them, you might see verse 3 come alive. And listen, if I didn't see it in my own eyes, I probably wouldn't believe it. But there's points where I go, wow, there is some supernatural aspects here. There's been some incredible, but I want you to know the word of grace was always preached first before the miracles came. The, the word of grace is always before the works of grace. The works of grace is just affirm the word of grace. And so when I'm there, I watch them. They preach the gospel. People would give their lives of Christ, and that's the people who couldn't walk, walk. Because like people who couldn't see, see. I, I would see things that I go, wow. Because people who say, I don't know how I'm going to make it. And all of a sudden, their harvest produces four times or three times or double what it did before. It happens. So, so there is this aspect that the gospel will bear fruit. By the way, I know we don't see it here sometimes, but the gospel is moving in incredible ways around our world. And even in our nation, even during this pandemic, I've heard of churches that have planted multiple churches in certain cities and groups starting and people are coming to know Christ. I think the gospel will bear fruit. But not only this, so my, my question is this. As I've read this, I go, man, well, will we be part of this? Will you and I be a part of this? Luke 10.2 says the harvest is ripe, but the, does anybody know the next part? But the laborers are few. So something like I set my clock, my, my phone to, to Luke 10.2. So at 10.02, my, my watch, my phone is typically go off. And I just pray, hey, pray to the Lord of harvest that he might send out laborers. And so this is one of the things I, I do. But I, but I go, what happens to a harvest if it's not picked? If it's not harvested, what happens? It rots. Boy, I think it'd be an awful shame. There was a harvest in Williamsburg, James City County, that's rotten because we're not going out trying to harvest it. So my application is this, the gospel bearing fruit. Jesus said the harvest is, is ready. The question is, will we go out and harvest it? So not only does I think it moves through people, and I think it moves, bears much fruit, but I also think it faces opposition. And I think you see that in the text. And, and, and wherever you go, you're going to see this in Acts. So you look at, as we continue this, this thing in verse 50, well, actually, you can go back but before that. In verse 45, you saw the crowds, and they were filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul and reviling him. And then you look at verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. And if you look at chapter four in the Iconium, in verse one and, and uh, verse two, but the unbelieving Jews, they stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Persecution is just a natural form of the gospel movement. Back in when the gospel moved, that was just, they're going to new territory. Un, people haven't heard of this message before. And so it was going to happen. It was, persecution was a natural thing that took, suffering was natural. Well, I think in our Western culture, we, we try to avoid that as much as possible. I've talked to my mom quite a bit, and she's been, she was awful anxious over these last several months. And I said, Mom, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen, but when I look at the global stage, I, I, I say this. 
And some people love the new administration. Some people hate the new administration. And anytime you have change, there's uncertainty. But I, I go, Mom, here's all I know. Boy, our mission hasn't changed. And if persecution or a little more suffering comes or some of our freedoms, all I know is around the world right now where the gospel is moving the most, there's typically happens to be persecution and it has to be suffering. It's just where the gospel's moving the most. Don't know why, but it seems in Scripture that's what happens. I said, so mom, if we get a little suffering, maybe it'll be good for us. It doesn't change our mission. And so persecution, and when you read the book of Acts, it was a natural part of the Christian life. It's not something that we should fear. Like you ask Paul, he doesn't ever pray for his safety. He prays that I might speak boldly. And so you see this persecution take place. I mean, Paul, Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 3.11, he talks about how he was persecuted. But if you go to 1 Peter chapter 4, look how Peter talks about suffering. And, I, and then I'm going to land this plane. Verses 12 through, through 19, this is, this is kind of Peter talking about this thing. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. You may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, then you are blessed because the spirit of the glory of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. He's just saying, hey, if you suffer for stupidity, that's your own. Don't, don't suffer for that, right? But if you're suffering for the name of Christ, that's a different thing. In verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is a time to, for judgment to begin at the household of God. If it begins with us, what will, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Paul would, Paul would understand this idea of suffering and persecution for the name of Christ. And I just want us to know this, and I'm not sure, but I, I, I think for my kids and your grandkids and my grandkids that that verse and that passage is going to become more important for them. And I think we, we can teach our next generations, we need to teach them this theology. Not this prosperity, name and claim it. If you have enough faith, everything will go well. But actually for the name of Christ, there is suffering and persecution. And I think if we can begin to teach that and pass that to our next generation, I think we'll see the gospel flourish in the next generations. I found it interesting, these words incite and to stir up, they jumped out to me. And when I looked them up in the Greek, they seemed to be two different Greek words. One's used in the form of an anger. You, it stir up to, to force an anger. The other one is more of an emotional arousal perspective. And so when I looked at this and I thought about how persecution comes and, and the manners that it comes, it, it comes from the outside. You see that it comes from these, they found these devout women they found these leaders of the city, and so you had this pressure from persecution from the, the city and the outside of the community of the church, and so you had this persecution coming. But not only from the outside, you also had it on the inside. You had these Jewish from the religious community itself. You had, you had this persecution coming. And so what I'm saying is sometimes when we and you and I share our faith, sometimes the, if you go to a family reunion and your family is, well, not really believers, sometimes you're like, man, should I say something? Should I not say, say something? Well, they make fun of me. 
but they say something. And when we were in Spain and we'd go out and we'd get invited by some of our, the national friends and we'd go out and eat with them. And I would always, one thing that I would say is they, hey, my family, we, we, just, we just love to ask the Lord to bless and give thanks for his food. So I would love just to do that and then maybe even pray for you. Some of them look at me and go, huh, okay. <laughs> Sometimes you have to take that step and just say, I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to see if there's a little seed out there. I'm going to throw out a little bit of salt and see if there's, they're thirsty. Sometimes you have to be willing to get a little ridiculed. Paul did it. But it's funny, when he, they reviled, when he was reviled, he actually spoke more boldly. So I find that it comes on the outside. It comes from the inside. And the methods they use, you can see they use it by voice. They try to poison their mind. Both times they tried to, to get into the minds of the people. And over in Iconium, not only do they try to get the Jews, they also try to get the Gentiles all of a sudden revi- uh, kind of stirred up as well. And so listen, don't be, don't be, don't be surprised if Persecution comes from more than one arena. It's okay. It doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It might be you're doing something right. I had a professor that was served in Africa, and he was telling the story of one of the people that he loved in his community, some of the groups of believers. And, and so he was in the village and said, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? And he said, no. Well, later on today, they're going to burn him. They're going to burn him alive up there. And so maybe you should go see him. So my professor says, all right, I'm going to go see him. He's walking out there. You start thinking, man, what, what do you say? What do you say a guy who, for the name of Christ, is about to suffer and be burned alive? What do you say to a guy? All I can say is that guy that was about to be burned alive evidently had read 1 Peter chapter 4. My professor says when he got closer, he could just hear the guy singing. And as he got closer to talk to him, he says, oh, I counted a great joy to count worthy to be, uh, be a partaker of the sufferings of Christ. It's a different mentality. Like, I don't think that would be my, my thought process. But as I read in stories about people from Voice of the Martyrs and different articles, you understand this, this theology of persecution and suffering is part of gospel movement. And we cannot get away from it. So here's what I want to say. I think the gospel, the plan of God in this text, it moves through his people, it bears fruit, and it also faces opposition. And we have a choice in some of this. Can we be partakers of it? Will we harvest collectors? Because when you look at the last part of these verses, Verse 51, but they shook off the dust of their feet against them and went to Iconium. And look what happens. The last two verses are important to us this morning. And this is where we're in close. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They'd just been persecuted and threatened from every aspect, outside, inside. And here's what they said. They just shook it off. And it says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That seems contrary to our Western mindset. How can you go through this incredible persecution, suffering, and who knows what they said about your, your family and everything else, and all of a sudden now you're saying you're filled with the joy and the Holy Spirit? It interests me that this text seems to connect persecution with being filled and joy. That's an interesting connection. And then the last verse in chapter 7. It says they learned of it, actually verse 6, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, 
or Max will pick up next week, to the cities of Laconia, to the surrounding country. So they learned of it. The Spirit led them, hey, to move. Just what they learned in, in Luke, right? Chapter 10 as well. Hey, persecution comes, shake the dust off your feet and go on to the next city. This is what they're doing. They're practicing what they learned from Jesus. He says, and they continued to preach the gospel. What I love about Paul and Barnabas and these people, they didn't change their tactics. Well, that didn't work. Let me change. No, they just, we're going to stick to it. So sometimes we, you and I, we, we've shared the gospel and we've been rejected and we think maybe it's us or maybe it's our testimony or maybe it's the way we shared it and we just stop. Nope. Keep sharing. My, my word of you this morning, if you're a believer and, you're, and it's new or you're a seasoned veteran is, hey, listen, don't stop sharing. Don't stop sharing, sharing the message the way that you and I share it. Maybe you're watching and you're kind of like one of these people in, in Iconium. Some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. And so maybe the Spirit's working in your life this morning and saying, hey, will you quit fighting me and will you side with Jesus this morning? As we heard in earlier that Jesus came to set the captive free. He came to have to show people that they have forgiveness of sins. And so maybe you're watching and you've never put your faith and trust. And maybe today is you're saying, God's saying, hey, will you side with the apostles who proclaim this message of Jesus? And maybe God's calling you to make that step this morning. To make that step to say, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus. And if that's, if that's the case, I would love for you to, hey, on the site or just text or message the church here. And one of us would love just to talk to you about how you can Make that step and side with the apostles and have a relationship with Jesus. We would love to do that with you. And so I say this, the word of God is active and alive and is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so I think it brings us to a point when we encounter the word of God, it brings us to a point. So my questions here this morning are this. I mean, what role will you play in someone's life this week? Thanks for listening to the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast. I hope you will join us again next week as we continue learning lessons from the life of the Apostle Paul. For more information on the Friday Men's Breakfast, please visit wcchapel.org slash men's breakfast. Have a great week.